and welcome to the new media podcast, Beyond Consumption, a new era for entertainment. This is episode one, the introduction, Surviving the Attention Recession. I'm Hannah, the cultural insights analyst here at Media, and I'm here with Mark Mulligan, our MD and music analyst, and Carol Severin, our games analyst. Hi, guys. Hi there. Hi, everyone. So let's kick this off. Uh, what is the attention recession and how did we get here? Well, uh, let me take you back quickly to 2019, which is when we've reached the peak of the attention economy, what we called back then the peak of the attention economy. Uh, really to distill, you know, a couple of years of research into a couple of minutes, what it meant in a sense, the peak of the attention economy was more content, the same amount of time in the day. And we reached a point of saturation where essentially any future growth wasn't about capturing available free time that was up there for grabs, but rather it became about prioritizing between apps and services. And any growth, any new growth from that point onwards was going to come at the expense of someone else. Now, if you fast forward a year into the sort of COVID-19 outbreak, which meant that suddenly actually more time and attention freed up. And it was actually about 15% we've calculated in media, you know, with things like lockdowns and, you know, people uh, not having to commute to work, etc. Uh, they've actually gained some of that time and attention back. So it was about 15%. But in about a quarter's time, they've already allocated 12% into uh, new propositions and into the new way of life, so to speak. So we now have this sort of artificially created time bubble, if you like, that is going to go away, at least partially, not to say that things are going to come, you know, back to fully into what we call the old quote unquote normal, but companies will essentially for the first time now have to navigate uh, what we are calling the attention recession. You know, in 2019, they had to navigate a saturated attention environment. And in 2020, they will for the first time ever have to navigate a recessionary attention environment alongside the economic recession. You know, and it was it was already important to build fandom in 2019 just to be able to win the increasingly frequent prioritization process between digital propositions. But now this is going to be even more intensified. And, you know, companies whose business models are built upon monetizing engagement and therefore attention will find themselves amidst more intense competition than ever. And we believe one of the key ways to navigate this is doubling down on designing business model ba based upon fandom monetization rather than just engagement and access. Uh, and in doing so, companies will often need to disrupt themselves and start to internally challenge the sort of status quo and some of the truisms that have been accepted based on their engagement-centric worldview. So, for example, you know, we keep hearing about things like shortening attention span of younger audiences. But we believe this is merely a reaction to, what this, to what's happening on the supply side, right? Attention is becoming increasingly distributed. There is still the same amount of hours in the day, but there is more and more and more content. So with things like multitasking on the rise, particularly, you know, among younger audiences, Engagement, you know, might might actually still be there in your metrics, but what will fall far faster than that is actually the attention. And I know Hannah has been sort of doing a lot more work around this. Hannah, do you want to yeah. take us further? Yeah, well, it's it is basically a, a reaction to a reality of having so much content being produced and and put in your face at all times, and so you you 
redistribute your attention accordingly. So it's it's not so much having an, a pure engagement metric of have something having been seen doesn't necessarily indicate how it's been perceived because um, most consumers will have maybe two or three screens in the room with them, particularly over lockdown, um, so many things going on. I mean, we've been looking at... Um, a data for a long time that says over 50% of consumers stop paying attention to the TV when the ads come on, which has really just uh, been exacerbated by the current situation because everything's on digital. So it's so easy just to switch tabs or turn your attention to something else. There's very interesting new dynamics of just naturally overlapping behavior. So whereas originally in, in the old ways, uh, you would have like daytime television as sort of a background, but now you can have some Netflix shows, which will be background while you're maybe playing a game or having a meal or hanging out with friends. Um, for example, the Friends TV show has become hugely popular and hugely successful, even though it's been off air for like what a decade now or something. But it's, it's very familiar background content, particularly now when everybody's at home and they don't get to see necessarily the familiar friends and faces that they, they normally would. So, yeah, when we're, when we're now looking at the attention recession, not only is the amount of available time about to shrink again a little bit pre, pre-COVID um, or back to closer to pre-COVID, um, but it's now going to be all this time that's been allocated to entertainment and digital behaviors is suddenly going to be in competition with um, the newly scarce IRL activities, like real things, like going out and seeing friends or going shopping or traveling. Um, and so there's going to be also a bounce back where those things, because they're newly perceived as scarce, are going to be a much higher priority. So when digital entertainment propositions want to actually compete, they really need like that edge that's not just brand loyalty. It's got to be a sentiment, which is basically measured by fandom, like um, which is kind of our new new big thing. Yeah, I think the, the other thing as well is a couple of things you touched on there, Hannah. Is that, so first of all, the extra problem around this sort of correction to attention is in the business of entertainment in digital environments, you there are other ways, but the main two ways in which you make money is people paying for things, which is predominantly subscriptions and advertising. And subscriptions have held, um, they've not only held the ground, you know, they, they've grown really strongly during this boom that we had in the attention economy during 2020 and, you know, and into 2021. So there is a question, particularly as an economic recession begins to kick in, about whether some of those new subscribers that have come into market start to fade, particularly when people have been doubling up on subscriptions, getting themselves an extra video subscription, you know, maybe subscribing to Disney Plus in addition to Netflix, et cetera. So they, you know, they, they might be at risk. But the more pressing concern is when people do start going back into the office, start going out again, having, like you say, those sort of scarce IRL uh, experiences competing for time, they're still going to want to still do a lot of the things that they did more of during um, during the sort of the lockdown era, but they're just not going to be able to do as much of it. So they'll be even less focused in their attention. Their their attention is going to be fractured across many more places, and that means the advertising business model is going to be really at risk. You know, there's these uh, famous quote from uh, John Wanamaker many years ago saying that um, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. Well, that is going to be exacerbated many times over with digital advertising because if the ads that you're seeing 
you're already not spending much time with the, the whatever the main content is. And there's a whole bunch of ads there. It doesn't matter how well targeted they are. You're just not going to be paying as much attention to them, which means there's going to be a weakening ROI on digital advertising. It's kind of interesting on, on, on two levels because... One, this this seems like it's it's actually becoming the sort of third whammy onto the pool of consumers that had been targetable by digital advertising in the past. Like we know that over the past few years, as people and consumers have spent more and more time behind paywalls that are often ad free, we know that the sort of pool of consumers that were targetable readily by the traditional digital advertising has been declining in size. At the same time, it has been also declining in value because we know that a lot of the people who are behind paywall are actually amongst the higher spending consumer segments. And now what you're saying, Mark, is not only the size and the value, but actually also the ROI that is going to be decreasing. So which kind of begs the question, you know, is advertising still like an effective way of, you know, brand building, for example? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's absolutely the right question to ask. I mean... We've clearly seen a lot of success in digital advertising over recent years. And, you know, as in any any digital transition, you've got the incumbents uh, who are used to doing things the way they used to do. Um, and they spend a lot more time um, before they manage to adjust to the realities of the new world. And some of them just don't make the change. And then you've got these insurgents who are born into these digital environments who play by new rules and they help write the new rules. I think when we see things like pop-up fashion brands and social commerce, this is recognizing, identifying that the strength of digital advertising is about immediacy. It's calls to action. It's going and bang. This is something that here's a here's a you know pair of jeans which is going to sort of fit into all these posts you've been looking at. You know your favorite you know your favorite singer or whatever, and it's just it's immediate, and you go bang, go and get it. But the, it's not about brand building. You know, traditional brand building could rely upon a relatively static audience. Great, we'll serve them a couple of ads tomorrow because we know they're going to be there tomorrow, the day after the day after. They'll be tuning into this show every week. You know, they're going to be there and you can invest in this long-term thing about building a brand. And that still works in those linear environments. But in the digital environments, it's becoming harder to not only predict attention, but maintain attention. Uh, so I think that's, you know, in the context of what we're talking about here, the, you know, the surviving the attention recession, these were trends which were already in place, but they're being catalyzed by COVID. You know, it's accelerated. It, you know, in many ways, COVID years are like dog years, right? Sort of everything gets compressed and concertinaed. And so this might have been a problem that the advertising industry could have dealt with in, you know, at relative leisure. Now, it's at risk of becoming a mission critical issue that is really going to be a case of having to fix a plane while it's still in the air. Yeah, well, I mean, it's you could arguably say that um, Amazon was a huge factor in in just the beginning of the demise of brand recognition, where no matter what you wanted or what you were looking for, you would just go and do that purchase. And um, now, yeah, it's all about immediacy, like particularly on social media. Facebook is obviously one of the biggest uh, social or sorry, uh, digital advertising companies out there. And the way that they've just redone Instagram over this lockdown period is to make it super focused on advertising and sales. 
basically it's it's a shop window now for consumers to just scroll scroll click through um but then the so obviously you could say well there's a case for how this how brands can navigate this very well and how they're sort of counteracting this oh well we'll just go to amazon and there's no brand recognition whatsoever but on the on the downside of it it's just overwhelming like it's 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 quite a thing where everybody knows if you talk too loudly while you've got Facebook app open or you hover over an ad for like 2.5 seconds instead of 0.3 um then you'll you'll see the same ad or like five different ads for different companies offering you the exact same thing and so it's almost so overwhelming it's diluted the idea of brand recognition altogether there's a million different brands out there all serving the same all having the same propositions and they're all being served side by side on the same content feeds and digital advertising so that's yet another problem where the attention economy for ads specifically has just been so oversaturated in and of itself and that's amidst all of this other content all competing for the same time on the same screens uh, and it's all about to come crashing down. <laughs> yeah, I, I wonder whether you've touched upon something even more profound here as well, which is at its simplest level, we'd say advertising needs a reboot to learn how to deal with, uh, with building brand. But maybe actually the whole essence of what a brand relationship is is, is changing as well. You know, if you could rely in the in the traditional world of people seeing billboards, people seeing the same TV ads, the same sponsor from the TV show, people having quite predictable behaviours where you can build that sort of relationship over a long period of time, and those big brand advertisers didn't have to bank on you going to actually buy something this month or even this year, just to know that you knew who the brand was and have some sort of idea about the, the values of that brand so that when you are thinking about buying that product, they're front of mind. If we don't have those venues or those venues are becoming um, decimated to build brands, then actually maybe the whole essence of what a brand relationship needs to be different. Maybe the essence of a brand relationship goes much more into actually building a relationship with people in actually engaging them, giving them things, making them feel as part of something which is obviously a component of Conde brand building, but is not, you know, the, the essence of it. And that's why I think entertainment might be particularly well-placed for this future idea of what it means to build a, build a brand relationship, because fundamentally what entertainment has got in spades compared to, you know, most other sectors is fandom. Fandom is the thing that you can build a brand relationship with. You know, and I'd say, you know, music is obviously the space I spend most of my time looking at. Music is in desperate need of a new brand strategy because streaming has become a song economy, which has put the brand of the artist in, on the back burner. You know, that everything is around the song and around the playlist. Uh, it's not around the artist. And yet the, the artist has that a asset of the essence of the relationship between the artist and the fan. Yes, might have been shunted to the side right now, but in this new era of brand building, fandom, I think, could be the fuel and music in particular, but sports and games, TV, or you know, anything where there is a emotional connection between the audience and the and the content, then I think they, you know, the entertainment could end up being potentially one of the winners in, in the future of brand building as we come out of the attention recession. Yeah, no, I I couldn't agree more. And as I think you touched upon both both of you touched upon something really important, and that's branding is essentially about building relationships, less so about giving and sort of force feeding people information. That is sort of more the sort of advertising role. And I think whenever you want to sort of build positive sentiment, I think 
this probably spans beyond entertainment i'd i'd like to think but really you can you can do it via two ways right you can help consumers solve their known problems and then you can appeal to them by sort of surprising and delighting them by solving problems they didn't know they had so the first one is more sort of about the mechanics and you know sort of being able to remove friction helping to declutter consumers and helping them you know overcome and battle the age of the information overload and then on the other side of things you know you might be able to sort of surprise them and build those positive relationships because they may now you know, be playing their favorite game, but realize that they suddenly actually have access to a new release or an exclusive concert of an artist that they just didn't expect to be there. And those are exactly the kind of moments that can essentially help build that positive sentiment. And I think as a sort of parting point on this this one is that since branding and advertising have traditionally been quite closely sort of intertwined, even though they each kind of have a bit of a different purpose or quite a different purpose rather, you know, we need to, I, I would say companies kind of need to shift away from the worldview of what used to be the sort of world of what what we call the, you know, uh, prey and spray campaigns, whereby we are essentially targeting what, with one message that is going to be, you know, good enough, not too offensive to anyone, you know, be uh, that, that sort of, you know, almost resemblant of like the four-way linear TV quadrant programming that it just needs to be good enough for the big mass rather than essentially making sure that you're targeting a smaller audience, but making sure you're essentially building love. Yeah, well, niche is the new mainstream, which is kind of an old old media quote by now, but it's it's ever, <laughs> ever more true, you know? Like, you can say it so many times that it's still, still true. I, I mean, it all falls into, like, community building, brand building. I think it was the first report I actually did for media. It was about... Um, building communities and using fans to sort of become part of the brand and help build the brand themselves. And it's working as well. Like the flip side of that is just, uh, we're in a creator culture. Like there's a lot of UGC content out there. A lot of sharing and social tools are becoming creator tools. And I know that's, that's huge in, um, in music in particular. And I know Mark and Chris are kind of working on, um, something adjacent to this, which is about like creator tools and potentially becoming a social platforms in their own right. Um, but anyway, so obviously, fandom and sentiment are are the new drivers. But this is this isn't, and this isn't new. This is something that was already happening slowly, and COVID has just kind of catalyzed it. So, um, is there any other concluding remarks, or should we? What what should we take away from this? What is what is our takeaway? For me, uh, as so much of what we think about in terms of the impact. Of, um, of of COVID on on anything really, but you know, particularly in the in the digital entertainment space, is that the most of the big impact things ha- have accelerated something that was either already happening, or the uh, the ingredients for the change were already there. You know, there aren't many things which happened out of nowhere, and there weren't you know, and the things which completely stopped. Um, most of those will re- recover in some form, form or another. Obviously, live music being one of those. So, when we're talking about the session recession, um, you know, and, and I know some people might think it's more of a correction, right, rather than a recession, because it's it was a temporary period when we're returning back to what things were like before the temporary period. I think the reason we we use the term recession is because in a in an economic recession, you have what's known as economic scarring. There are some companies. 
um, and brands and products which are just not the same afterwards. You know, they they either disappear completely or they're much weaker or they enter into, you know, long-term terminal decline. And then there there are winners in recessions. Companies learn how to do things differently during a recession. Who are the successes who end up, you know, much stronger after, you know, coming out of a recession than going into it. And, you know, that, that economic scarring, I think we will absolutely have attention scarring. You know, once the sort of 12 or so percent of extra time that Carol was talking about disappears or lots of it disappears, then people are going to stop doing some things. And some of the things which they learned to love during lockdown, they will probably want to stick with. I think audiobooks is a fantastic example of this. Media's consumer data, um, tracking uh, media consumption uh, throughout the, the lockdown period. Audiobooks was the biggest winner across everything, not just in audio, um, you know, about a 50% increase in time. And you think about why is somebody more likely to listen to an audiobook when spending more time at home? Because they've got more predictability around the time. They've got longer periods of time to fill. They feel that they can give something attention, that they feel that they can commit more time to something. And you might say, well, obviously, that will all change when they go back and they're commuting on the train. Well, yes, but we know that the commute was the main place where people listen to music every day, you know, so and there's nothing that is inherently problematic about listening to 20, 30, 40 minutes of an audiobook versus 20, 30, 40 minutes of, of music. So, you know, that is just one microcosm example of how a change in behavior that happened during lockdown could have the sort of, you know, if you like lockdown legacy where they will still want to listen and they may allocate a bit less time listening to audiobooks than they did during the time when they were homebound, but it will still be more time than before. And because they're spending less time overall with media, that means something else is losing. So that is, I think, you know, so the key thing to take away from this is regardless of whether you're in the winning side or losing side or somewhere in the middle, it's understanding why did people spend more or less time with what you do during the pandemic and Coming out of the pandemic, how can you make sure you either retain that or increase that? Absolutely. And this is, by the way, just a b- bit of a plug for the upcoming podcast <laughs> episodes. We are actually going to be diving into this into quite a lot more details. I'm sure Hannah might have a little more detail on this. But from, from my perspective, obviously, we are talking about you know things like monetizing fandom and building that positive sentiment. So we are actually going to do um, an episode on things like what actually is fandom and you know how do you even measure it and trying to sort of wash away or wash out the older world view lens and make sure that we can actually build for this new world with a new set of fresh eyes too. Yeah, absolutely. I think this was a a good topic to sort of set up basically set up the rest of the season because this is this is the big dynamic, the whole the whole thing, the whole picture, but then we have to dive deep and really understand um, there's different aspects of it. So yeah, absolutely. Just a little plug for the rest of the episodes. Definitely tune in, coming out weekly. So next we're going to be looking at um, the commodification of content. So that's going to be Chris and Keith and Trissy. Just talking about like the cultural impacts of just so much content, it becomes a commodity. It's so ubiquitous. Um, and then yeah, Carol, you're up talking about uh, the fandom factor after that. Then we're going to be talking about rethinking consumption context. So we're going to dive a bit deeper into a little bit what we were talking about today, where people are watching, 
who, how, uh, what is, what are the overlaps in their content consumption and, um, the role of creation as a fan behavior. So the role of creation as a part of consumption, which I think is actually a really fascinating new, new thing uh, illustrated by TikTok, but not exclusive to it. Um, and then we're just going to close off with, uh, the finale a new era for entertainment, the death of the silo, uh, which dramatic though that sounds should be a little bit optimistic actually. So yeah, hopefully you guys can tune in. Thank you both for joining today. Great. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Carol. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you, Mark. Have a great day, everyone. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to keep up with all the latest episodes by subscribing to Media Research on your favorite podcast platform.